0: It's really crazy out there, and, you know, I've been listening to a bunch of different people who are giving messages on, you know, how we how we deal or how we walk in this time. There's so much conflicting information out there, and it kind of goes hand in hand with what I wanted to talk about tonight. Um, if you guys have your Bibles, you want to turn to Daniel 6. I'm trying to get there, but it's like... I lost my spot. So in Daniel 6, you have a new king that's come into power. And he assigned three high officials, one of whom is Daniel. And Daniel has the most favor of all of them. There we go. Daniel has the most favor of all of them. So he's kind of like the favorite. So as uh, what happens is you have two other high high officials who get really jealous, and they come to the king, and they get him to sign this document where uh, no one is allowed to worship anyone or anything else but the king for 30 days. And I want to go to Daniel 6.10 that says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed... He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Can you guys say as he had done previously? Okay. I love this. At this point in Daniel's life, he has seen the falling of a kingdom. He uh, has—he's already on his third king. He's watched kings rise and fall. He has interpreted dreams that he shouldn't know from the Lord. He has seen the literal writing of the hand of God on a wall. He's watched his three best friends be thrown into a fire, walk around with a fourth man, and then get out of there without being singed. So in his history with the Lord, when this decree comes down, what I love that Daniel goes straight to the place, this this place of prayer, this place where he knows the highest authority is, and he continues as previously he has done up until this point, no matter what it's unto. He's relying on a history he has with God The God who shows up. The God who is for him. And that as he had done previously just shows us that when we get into a place where we're not sure what God is doing, we can rely on the history that we have with the Lord. And that's what it is that I wanted to talk about tonight. I wanted to talk about history and the importance of history. Um, So every year... Uh, and every January, Jeremy and I do this thing called an annual reset, where we look and pray about the previous year. Um, We kind of pray about where we're at, and um, we pray into the future of what God's wanting to do um, with our kids, with our finances, spiritually, um, for the church. Um, And it's actually something we learned from Cheryl and Casey Hahn. I don't know if you guys know, yes. I don't know if you guys know this, but um, I've known the Hans for 15 or more years. Um, When they were newlyweds, I was their adult child. And um, they'd make me pancakes and take care of me and love me. And they actually were in mine and Jeremy's wedding 12 years ago. Um, and when we moved back from California a couple years ago, we showed up at Upper Room Frisco and they, they were the elders and it was like, Oh, safety, safe place. Um, and this is something that they used to do that I thought, Oh my gosh, I want to emulate that, especially when I get married. So that's something in January every year that Jeremy and I do. And in 2015, Jeremy began to feel like God was highlighting the state of California. And I knew it was the Lord because I immediately started weeping and freaking out. I feel like in your marriage vows, there should be an extra line when uh, you're saying uh, in sickness and in health, for richer or or poorer, when you hear God and I haven't yet. 'Cause there that's a massive trust fall, you know what I'm saying. Anyway, so this started what ended up being two years of a prophetic journey where there were things happening in our story with God that were circumstances beyond coincidence. Um, to give one example, there was one night where Jeremy had this, this very profound dream and the next morning he gets a phone call from an intercessor friend of ours who says, I had this dream about you last night and proceeded to tell him the dream he had just had. The, you pay attention when that happens. And there were a lot of things that were going on, but part of what was so difficult in my heart is that at the time, we were planted in an amazing church family. We were on staff, and one of our core values of of who we are and what we want to carry is uh, to build family. That's something that Jeremy and I knew that... um, we did well, and that um, we wanted to make part of, of who we are. And so to, to leave that, to leave that place, we had a great house, we had a great community that, um, we knew it would be costly. But at the end of, you know, a year and a half, we knew the timing of the Lord was coming, and it was time to go. God was starting to pour out favor and supernaturally usher us into the state of California. So we sold our house, we quit our jobs, and we moved four kids across the country. Yeah, and it was... It was an amazing God time. We were on this mountaintop with Jesus. I mean, literally, he planted us on a mountaintop in a house that my son, who was six at the time, had seen in a vision, okay? We could see the the mountains from one side and the ocean from the other, and we cried every day. We were very thankful. And it was great until... (laughs) A couple months down the road, the family that we were starting to build and create began to fall apart. And the biggest accusation, the biggest thing that kind of came against us was that we didn't know how to do family. And it was so confusing. And we started to walk out a season... um, the circumstances of everything that happened aren't as important as I think what it looked like to walk out the confusion in the, in, in the failure of what we felt like God had ushered us into and led us to. Um, we actually met Liz and David Luck during that season. Yes. And they still like us, but God bless them. <laughs> We were just we were we were in a place of just brokenness and trying to figure out um, how to handle some really hard questions that we had for God, and we ended up coming back to Texas, um, just feeling really broken and really confused. Um, we wanted to know like, had we misheard God? Had we somehow missed the prophetic Um, because we had gone to a place where it hadn't worked out the way that we planned? Had we aborted the prophetic or had someone else aborted the prophetic? Could you abort the prophetic? I don't know. Um, Where is the God who always shows up? And um, did we even know how to build family anymore? Could we ever... Was that actually the identity that we carried? Um, I w- found so much comfort <laughs> during our kind of walking out and, and rebuilding from scratch, You know, coming back to Texas and, and rebuilding. Um, I found so much comfort in the story of Jesus in the wilderness. I love that Jesus goes to visit John the Baptist and he has him baptized. He gets baptized, and he comes out of the water. The skies part. The dove descends upon him, the Holy Spirit, and he hears the audible voice of God say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I mean, what a mountaintop moment. What a culmination of he's been leading up to this point in this just identity is spoken into Jesus. I heard someone say recently, if Jesus Christ needed to hear the Father speak identity into him, how much more do we? <laughs> so this mountaintop moment happens, and then it says, oh, then in uh, Matthew 4.1, it says, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. That little three-letter word, led, became a linchpin in my healing and my walking back into the place of trust and dreaming with God. He led him. And when he got there, he didn't have food, he didn't have water, which weakens the body. But do you know that loneliness also weakens the mind and the heart? After 40 days, the devil waits all that time, and then he comes to him and starts to mess with him. And what does he go after? His identity. If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, God, Jesus has just heard that he is the son of God, but the first thing the devil wants to go after is what was just said on the mountaintop. Who? And I love that Jesus responds to him out of Scripture. I, I've heard re, I heard Chris Vallotton say something recently about how, when Scripture's intention, it's our relationship with the Father that keeps us, in the place of knowing. And you've got the devil who's who's offering Scripture, but out of his history with God the Father, Jesus is responding, right back at him. And what's so beautiful is that when he walks out of the desert at the end of this story of the wilderness, it says that Jesus walked out in power. There was something about overcoming in the wilderness that brought power so that he could begin his ministry anew. And... It was also something that God knew that as soon as he got done with being in the wilderness, he was going to be accosted and affronted on his identity by everyone around him, including those closest to him. Are you the son of God? Are you the son of God? It's moments like that in our history that we create with the Lord that propel us into walking into the next things that he has for us. So much of us so many of us are trying to endure, and God is trying to empower us it's like it's like in Romans five when uh, when it says that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope, which will not put us to shame i 'm on this thing also recently about um In Romans 8 later, it says that hope that is seen is not hope. When we're in the midst of the battle and you're fighting for your life, and let's say you're in the midst of your battle, you're fighting, and you see reinforcements coming, that's not hope you're feeling. That's relief. (laughs) When you're in the midst of the battle and you're carrying a knowing because you know who he is, you believe in who he is, you believe in the God that's going to show up, that's hope. It's hope that knowing that even, even if this battle fails, there is still a war and, the, and it's not done yet. It's funny because when I was walking all that out, I was looking for a key I was looking for a key to get me out of it because, oh, self-pity came in like a drug. It was sticky. It was nice to focus on what was going wrong. (laughs) It just felt really good, but that was taking my eyes off of what the Lord was doing and starting to worship my circumstances and my pain rather than worshiping God and seeing my situation through God's eyes. I feel like there's a lie somewhere that God doesn't let us experience pain. But if we look at our heroes, if we look at Daniel, if we look at Joseph, if we look at Esther, we see them walking through things and it's when it's, it's, it's the fact that they're overcomers that makes us keep telling their story, that keeps their history alive for us. It's faith, is, faith comes by hearing. And so telling my story, telling my testimony, telling these stories and retelling these stories that I'm telling you right now that you already know, you've heard before, you've grown up hearing them. There's power in it because it's creating faith within us. Have you ever walked with someone who's gone through something really painful, really hard and, and walking through it with them and, w- and having them overcome actually increases your faith? Because that's what happens when we become family and we begin to create history together. We're a young church. We're a young body of believers here. But in the time that I have been able to get to know the people in this room, I'll tell you something. This is a body of deep wells. This is a body of people with rich histories in God. You are people that have experienced the stuff. And you still show up and you still choose to worship. And that is so powerful. But there is so much power in being grafted into a family and us choosing to be together as a family. Something I've learned is that you can have the greatest resume of character and reputation and crazy heavenly encounters with God, but it it doesn't replace history with people. And it doesn't replace history with God. And so like Jeremy can get up here and um, he can get up here with his really cool dad jokes, his like one-line zingers and his his prophetic songs and it's super anointed. But what happens when Your marriage is broken, or you experience a devastating loss, or you can't hear God right now, or you walk through these doors and someone says something that offends you. It's history with each other, it's choosing to walk together and be able to see each other the way God sees that begins to create a family. Because conflict, conflict hits us in our freak out place. It, it's that place where the muscle memory of self-preservation lives and all of our God logic goes out the window until we can feel safe again. We need to feel safe again. <laughs> and so we rely on our experience and our coping mechanisms to feel safe. And without a history or a commitment to vulnerability, this can look like, Isolating, shifting blame, or creating a false narrative. And create, creating a false narrative, when I say that, what I mean is um, we're seeing the conflict in a slightly skewed way so our hearts can cope. Does That make sense? If we can learn how to be planted, then we can grow into something really beautiful. Um. Whew. There is a lot of power in the fact that the people that I mentioned earlier these people have seen us through the highs and the lows of our life and they still we still choose each other. I have a friend named Joy. And when I first met Joy, I had three kids under three. (laughs) And uh, when we would hang out, she really pursued me during the season, we'd hang out and and I'd start, we'd just be talking and in the midst of us talking, she'd go, oh my gosh, you're so amazing. Rude, how did you get so cool? And it was very off-putting at first. I was like, okay, cool, I mean, you know, I'm just wiping bottoms. But then, you know, she'd see me at church or in the coffee shop and she'd come up to me and she'd be like, there you are. Oh my God, can you pray for me? Oh my gosh, you carry so much power. And After all, you're like, I mean, you know, I'm just, yeah, okay, why not? It felt fantastic. And then one day I walked into church and I kind of overheard Joy talking to someone and she was like, oh my God, you're so awesome how amazing are you? And I was like, what? Those are my compliments. And I started to get kind of offended. And as if somehow her complimenting them took away from the compliments I had been given. And the Lord stopped me and he was like, she sees people the way I see people. That's the gift I've given her. And I was like, oh, dang. <laughs> and, and so then I actually started to follow Joy around because I started noticing she really saw people. Wow. She saw the Jesus in them. Like every single one of you in here carries something so uniquely Jesus. You know what I mean? You're all doors that the second you open up, I get a little bit of Jesus. And that excites me because I want all of him. I want what you have. I want what you have. And that's that's what makes family. That's the kind of family that can create a, a lasting revival. That's why revival is family. Do you guys know how to revive a lifeless body? You perform CPR, right? So in order to perform CPR, you get your hands in there, you start pumping the chest to restart the heart. And CPR is messy. It's not like it's, you know, it's not like on Baywatch or something. Like you, like you, you got to get in there. Ribs get broken, people. And then you gotta get all up in somebody's face, put your mouth on their mouth, and, and breathe into their lungs. And what that says to me is that it takes brokenness to restart a heart, and it takes intimacy to breathe life back into the lungs. And that's what revival looks like. It looks like the vulnerability, it looks like the intimacy of family that can, can be vulnerable enough to be broken. They can be intimate enough, intimate enough to be close and breathe new life in order to bring the body back together. I had the hardest time when I first started walking with the Lord with the word revival. I, I, I didn't get it, and I carried so much shame around it. And, and to give you some perspective on that, I, I tell people like, you know how a car goes from zero to 60 and that's like, ooh, that's a fast car. There you go. That's the extent of my car knowledge. You are welcome. I tell people that I went from zero to far. zero being like, I'm Christian because I'm American and I'm Texan. And shofar being, my mom heard the audible voice of God while blow drying her hair and then was seeing in the spirit. And within a week, we had a woman with an actual instrument that I'd never seen or heard before being blown in my house. And she was walking around throwing away all of our Mardi Gras beads because of all the bad spirits. I mean, the six teenagers in the house had no clue what was going on. And then, so my mom starts trying to fight, figure out, you know, where are the people like me? So we get taken to all the revival meetings, all, all of the enthusiastic people that we consider our culture, which at the time was extremely foreign to me. And so we're going up to the International House of Prayer, where people don't just pray during the day, but like the cool people pray all night long have a night watch there, and we're going to the One Thing conference with tens of thousands of young adults who were like jumping and screaming, and I'm thinking I have to sacrifice a chicken to join a conga line. And then we're going over to uh, these big events called The Call with Lou Engel, where you fast for eight hours, and people are rocking on stage and saying things like, don't disengage! And I'm like, I'm sorry, I was just thinking about a sandwich! I'm back I'm sorry and it just felt like a lot of work to do something that supposedly God already wanted to do and I was so overwhelmed and and I, I married this guy who I met at a revival meeting I mean, and I want you to know, I was deeply impacted by these meetings we were going to. It was like, I was introduced to like, the fact that our culture has several versions of crying. There's like the single tear, crying, weeping, and then travailing. That's the one where the snot and the tears get mixed up and you groan. There was like the night that we, like we met, there was like travailing. It was like, Jesus is coming back. It was fantastic. But... That word made me so uncomfortable, and it wasn't until I started really growing with the Lord and started getting in a room and creating history with him that I understood that's what these leaders, these people were, were doing. They were operating out of a history with God that I didn't have yet. The last thing I want to talk about is remembering. Because we can be creating history all day long, but we have to remember. That's why we keep that's why I was I'm telling my story and I'll tell it again and again and again. That is why we keep telling the stories of these heroes of the faith that we have heard over and over because you you look up the word remember And you watch the Lord say that he will remember the covenants that he's made. He remembers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He remembers the stories. He remembers the overcoming. And he commands us to remember what it is that he's done. How many of you have read uh, all seven of the Chronicles of Narnia? (laughs) Your book nerd is showing. (laughs) I... I love the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, I didn't read them until I was like in college, but they, they had a profound impact on me. Um, and one of the things that I love about the, about the, about the whole, the entirety of this, this seven book series is that in the first book you watch, he he, the creation of Narnia. And in the last book you watch the end or you read the end of Narnia. And, During those seven books, what you're getting are little glimpses into the history of a world, which is super cool. But what you're also seeing is how, through time, the Narnians forget the battles that were won before. You see what happens when you don't remember this, this witch that was battled, this I- idea, I- idolatry that was battled. And you have to go back in again and again and again. And there's power in remembering. C.S. Lewis has a friend named Tolkien who has a line from the Fellowship of the Ring that I love too. I'm really going there, you guys. And some things that should not have been forgotten were lost. History became legend, and legend became myth. There's so much power in remembering, in remembering with a family, and reminding one another. I want to finish with this. Um, I think a lot of you know that back in December, um, my sister Bliss died. And I was actually worshiping with all of you when it happened. And losing a family member is really hard, because not only are you hurting, but you're watching the people closest to you hurt. Which just is awful. And as much as I love Bliss and I miss her, for my sister Brecka, that was her person. She was FaceTiming with Bliss just a couple hours before they found her. And that was what they did every day. And so not having her has been devastating. To my sister. But two weeks after Bliss died, Brecca found out she was pregnant. And this week, we got a confirmation that she's having a baby girl. And in September, baby Bliss is going to be born. Because death doesn't have the final word, and God creates a history with us that means that even when it looks like death has come even when it looks like the end of the story is there it's not over yet God is creating a history us yes, a history with us when the world is shaking and we don't know what to believe Your pain and heartbreak and suffering and building of endurance and overcoming may have cost you something, but it is going to cost the enemy greater for the history that you have. So let's become deep wells who choose to walk with one another who choose to be in that place with God, who choose to be vulnerable with God. Do you know the difference between transparency and vulnerability? Transparency says, you can see me. You can see what's inside of me. And vulnerability says, you can see what's inside of me and you can affect it. So let's be people of history. (laughs) Will you guys pray with me? Yeah. Jesus, I thank you so much for the history of every believer in this room, God. I thank you for every moment where you have shown up, where they have cried out, and you have been God, that you have been the God who shows up. Jesus, Jesus, God, I thank you that you don't let our stories end, Jesus, in that place of pain. But God, you continue to show up. You continue to be that God of the heroes of our faith. You continue, Jesus, to manifest your presence. We're so grateful. We're so thankful that that is who you are, God. We're so thankful that our relationship with you speaks louder than than politics, that speaks louder than viruses, that speaks louder than sickness, that speaks louder than pain and disappointment and heartbreak. Jesus, we bless you right now. We thank you, God. We thank you for your son, We thank you for how real he is, and we thank you for the life that he lives so that we can live the life that we live, Jesus. Holy Spirit, in your name we pray, amen.